Hey everyone, welcome into the Woj Pod for the first time on the ESPN platforms. Thrilled to bring the pod over here finally after two years at ESPN, literally two years from the day I started on another free agency day. Uh, and there was only one way to start this podcast, do it on the first night of free agency and do it with the great Ryan Rosillo, who's the, of course the host of the Ryan Rosillo podcast and the SVP and Rosillo podcast. And Ryan was kind enough to stay up really late with me here back east. Ryan, how are you, man? I'm great. I couldn't sleep, man. So we can go as long as you need. I'm, right. I'm too, I'm too wired. Today was unreal. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was unreal. And like, you know, I'm still sort of processing everything. It was a blur. At one point I looked up and it was 830 and it felt like we had been doing this for about 15 hours today. And I'm like, this thing only started two and a half hours ago, although it started earlier. Uh, the Durant stuff we got earlier in the day. And, but what, I mean, where do we start with this, Ryan? I mean, just, I think it starts in Brooklyn with what Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson and that organization has done. I, I don't know that I've ever seen anything like this in professional sports in three plus years, taking over an organization that was in absolute disarray disrepair, bad contracts, no draft picks. They had been traded away from here to eternity. And to watch a general manager and a coach systematically piece this thing together, pull guys off the scrap heap, take chances on some guys in the draft, Karis LeVert injured, develop players. And all of a sudden, they went from, I thought, a year ago, or maybe even before the season, I, I really think if... They were hoping they could get a meeting with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and Kawhi Leonard. Never mind sign those players. Um, just, just remarkable. Yeah, if you think about it, I mean, the laughing stock of the NBA is we start to realize how bad that trade was. You know, it got worse and worse, and you're going, wow. Because I remember the night the Celtics-Nets trade happened, you know, man, that could be a lot of picks, but, you know, all right, I, we'll see what happens. You remember? Like, no, in the no, moment. No, 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 I was, I'll tell you, I broke the trade. I was we're all on, in Brooklyn. Right. I was on the Brook, I was on the Brooklyn, was it the Manhattan Bridge? No, I was on the Manhattan Bridge going to Brooklyn. And I got word that the Nets were going to trade for, for, uh, was it Pierce first or Garnett? They were going to trade for Pierce first. And then they got Garnett involved. And I remember I hit a source and I said, does anyone else know about this? And the source didn't even have, he knew what I was talking about. He goes, no. I go, do I have time <laughs> to get to the arena and write this and not try to tweet it like in the breakdown lane on the bridge? He was, I was like, yeah, I think you do. So I get to the arena, and then I start to get more that this thing's getting bigger. And <laughs> I remember when I think I broke it, and then we were getting the pick information. I remember as I was gathering the pick information, I'm going, wait, there's another and another, and then a pick swap. I'm like, I'm like, what? I'm like, it seems like you probably didn't have to give up this much. And you look back at it and. Uh, anyway, just, just. No, but you're right. I mean, it felt. Hole they put him in. It felt like a death sentence. You know, it felt like a death sentence. And so when you think about, you know, I always think it's funny how when people talk about tanking and it ends up not working for most of the teams that do it, right? They go, oh, this doesn't work. You go, no, it's just a chance. And then when you think about all the teams that clear cap space, where I'd argue a lot of times cap space is really overrated in all these trans, you know, transactions where for years I'm like, oh, that's great. It's cap space. It's cap space. And then finally I remember one GM's like, who cares about cap space? You don't know. You don't know. And all it does is give you a chance. And for the Nets to pull this off 
and for it to work in the aftermath of everything we just talked about is remarkable. And, you know, it's funny because I remember meeting Sean Marks for the first time at the Combine last year, and he was like, yeah, you know, I was like, well, you know, maybe I'll c- catch up with you. And he was just like, why? <laughs> and then, and then <laughs> this past summer, this past Combine, so spring, he was in a much better mood, and he was really talkative. And I thought, wow, he, he seems a lot happier. So I, I always like to ask you this kind of stuff. You know, they made the deal with Atlanta. You never know until you know, but when do you think the Nets kind of knew? And I think that also coincides really well with Golden State, who just, you could tell throughout the year, they were so not confident about keeping Durant. Well, I remember, I'll tell you where that team turned the corner this year, is when Karis LeVert got hurt. And I think the question was, well, we're just going to tank, right? We'll tank. We finally have our own pick. And D'Angelo Russell would not let that team tank. He wouldn't let them lose. He kept, he, he, he became, he transformed into the player that everybody thought he could be coming out of Ohio State and why the Lakers picked him over Chris Epps Porzingis and picked him second in LA and, and, and ironically enough, still trying to recruit him back to LA now. I think the Clippers and the Nets had something in common this year was when everybody else is talking about these hypotheticals of what it might look like and come here and we're gonna, like the Nets showed, the Nets and the Clippers to me this year showed you like, like they gave you a very clear picture of what their identity is. And I thought that, and we're kind of going off, the the Clippers signed, we, we just reported a little while ago, um, Patrick Beverly going back on a three-year, $40 million deal. And, of course, I loved, I reported it, and then Patrick tweeted over my tweet with like like 100 little money bags, which I thought was awesome, but because <laughs> he's the best. Um. Uh, here's a uh, Ohm Young Missick, our our uh, Lakers writer. I never pronounce Ohm's last name right, and I I should be able to pronounce people. Yamasek, I believe. Yamasek, right. you're right. Sorry, Ohm. He had a great quote here, though. He said, "Michael Winger, the the Clippers GM, Michael Winger, said months ago, the Clippers one day want people to be able to identify a Clipper the way most people say, quote, that's a Steeler type player. He wants the Clippers to build a reputation and brand." A player based on grit, hard nose, low low ego hustle. Pat embodies that, and and uh, I think both the Clippers and the Nets did that this year and stock their teams with really good role players. And I don't want to I don't want to call Karis LeVert a role player. He's better than that. And D'Angelo Russell is not a role player. But Joe Harris and Jared Allen and uh, go through the Clipper team, and that's what attracts stars. You get two stars who come in. And you got all the guys in Brooklyn to do the dirty work. And if Kyrie Irving's going to miss, you know, 10 games or 12 games with an injury, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie's going to come in and run the team. You're not going to lose every night. You know, he'll probably walk out of there with a winning record. And, um, and, and I thought that's really important. And that'll be, we'll get to Kawhi Leonard and the decision he's got to make. But, but anyway, remarkable what the Clippers or what the, what, excuse me, what the Nets did. And, Set against the Knicks, and every time I reported a Nick signing tonight, you just kind of heard the like collective groans from the from the uh, from from the Nick universe, and um, they're in a tough place. And it, to me, it goes back to that Kristaps Porzingis trade. I they had a responsibility to find a way when they took over there to fix that relationship, to create an environment that he wanted to be a part of. And, I, and I'm not saying he's blameless in this, but 
I, I will never accept trading Chris Stapps Porzingis. I don't care how many picks you got for him. Like, that trade, when they made that trade, it told you, well, they know they're getting Kevin Durant. They know they're getting Kyrie. They, they must know they're coming. And maybe they thought they were coming, but they are not going to re- – to me, it is not that they wouldn't recover from not getting these free agents tonight. It, they will not – to me, they set themselves back so far by – not fixing that relationship with Porzingis, making the, the organization a place he wanted to be, because they could build around that guy. So what's what's real with the Knicks thing? Because you know, I know the statement came out, and I, I believe you and Ramona also reported that you know they were not willing to go to the max after the Durant injury. They've mm-hmm. had bad history with that. Um, you know, look if the market says Durant's going to get a max and Golden State's willing to offer him five years, then that's the table you're playing at. So. Yeah, I mean, is this really them being scared off? Like, as far as the Przingis thing, I agree with you that he's not blameless. I really felt like the more you dig around on that, the more they wanted to just get him out of there. But, you know, it wasn't any guarantee just moving him on and and getting anything back that that was going to guarantee him somebody in free agency. So, I mean, what do you really believe about them either being scared off on Durant or Durant saying, hey, I don't even want to go there anyway? Well, both. Well, yeah. so Ramona and I, we had had that reporting for some time now on that James Dolan was adverse to that full max. And Mm. that being said, I don't know that it, I don't know that Kevin Durant's camp and uh, his, his group, it it ever became an issue that the Knicks brought up. Um, I don't, as far as I know, they never really talked about a contract because despite all the belief that he was always headed there and maybe it changed later, they never got that deep into the conversations here in the last few days of free agency or once, once the period opened, um, they, they weren't, they, they had their mindset on Brooklyn. And so in the end, did it cost them him? No. But the fact is, is James Dolan did not want to do a max deal. And so if they had gotten down the road, maybe somebody could have, Convince Dolan to go, hey, Durant wants to come. You're going to come on. You got to get on board with this. But he was not on board with it. And, you know, here, here comes Bobby Portis, Taj Gibson, and uh, Julius Randle. Julius Randle. And, and uh, <clears throat> you know, and actually, Julius, Julius Randle will be, people in New York are going to actually like watching him play. Yeah, that's actually um, a nice pickup for all this. He is. He is. A three year so, deal. Yeah, but anyway. Um, this is um, they got a long way to go, and and uh, but yeah, the Knicks, the Nets, and then Ryan, like the team, and I know you and I both, you know, I think feel this is just one of the really well-run organizations in the league, uh, the Utah Jazz, and what they did, not just today, but go back to the Mike Conley trade the day of the draft or the day before the draft, the day before the draft. And and then today picking up Boyan Bogdanovich from Indiana for uh four years no yeah four years yeah, seventy three million and and then Ed Davis who what, what a great what a great pickup he is at two years ten million played great in Portland two years ago great in Brooklyn Brooklyn really missed him in that playoff series with Philly they might have been even more competitive they didn't have him in there to to bang and uh, do all the things he does but. Hey, that, that Utah team, Justin Zanuck, who took over as GM 
you know, Dennis Lindsay, who's done a remarkable job building that organization, hired Quinn Snyder, drafted Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, moved up in the draft to get two got two two, you know, all star level players, and and now Mike Connolly comes in, and that now they've got the four man in Bogdanovich. You could spread the floor, shoot. They they needed more playmakers. They there was you saw it last year the way teams loaded up on Donovan Mitchell in his second year, and and this is uh, yeah Zanuck in the last month really put his stamp on that team and and obviously Dennis Lindsay's still a big part of that and and defensively this team's going to be outstanding I don't know there aren't many co- coaches in the league who coached the defense better than Quinn Snyder his teams have shown that and and I think the Jazz all of a sudden are a you know this is a team that's going to have you know some really serious uh western conference um contention uh that like they're contenders in the west they're my favorite team right now. Now I know there's there's still some work to do, and I was going through the West where you start trying to figure this out. I, I think only Phoenix and Memphis would be the teams that I would probably rule out of the playoffs, which is saying something. You know, I, I still think that Sacramento um, has a chance, but I don't want to get distracted with that stuff and, and move off of Utah here because you know the one thing about Utah is we knew they were going to play defense, but when you watch Donovan Mitchell have to do it all on his own. And, you know, you can sit there and talk about like, okay, well, how many scores is too many scores? I think this league is about having as many guys that can get you shots in the playoffs. I, I just really, in a way that's still somewhat passably efficient. And Mitchell had moments where you could tell he was forcing it, but I didn't really blame him for forcing it. And to add somebody like Conley, who's so steady in every mm-hmm. possession, who can play off the ball, who just is somebody they need to stabilize that position, even though, you know, Rubio had his moments. And then Bogdanovich, who when you watch with the Pacers post Oladipo, he really was their best shot creator in that Celtics series. You know, the Pacers would just bog down offensively because the Celtics knew they really only had to guard one guy. And now Bogdanovich is going to be at times the third or fourth scoring option. I love what they did. And I still can't understand, like, does Ed Davis just want to do every team in the league a favor? Because, I mean, was that really, was the mark for Ed Davis really only five million a year for two years? So Zanuck, who has been as impressive as, Really, any guy I've met over the years and knowing that the things in Milwaukee really didn't work out the way they should have. And, look, I know you've known him a long time. I remember the first time I met him was at the Portsmouth Invitational years and years ago, and I was trying to ask him about some Euro guy that I couldn't even watch on YouTube. Um, you know, Utah gets it from the top down, and Lindsay setting this whole thing up and transitioning into Zanuck and everybody else that's on that staff, it's just – it's. I, I don't. I don't really think like it's crazy to sit here right now and feel like I know who Utah is more than any other team, other than say OKC because you just knew they were going to come back with everybody because they're so strapped financially. But they're still. We'll see what happens here with the Lakers. See what happens here with the Clippers. This Golden State thing's interesting, but right now, like Utah feels the steadiest, and that's a team that you know really. I, just watching them going, oh man, I wish they just had another steady score, and I feel like they've added two here in a week. No, absolutely. Uh, hey, we'll have more. Free agent talk with Ryan Rossillo right after this. Back with Ryan Rossillo, the host of the Ryan Rossillo podcast and the SVP and Rossillo podcast here on my debut on my debut Woj pod on ESPN here on the first day of NBA free agency. Um, you know, one thing somebody said to me tonight, Ryan, and I, and and I thought about it, the fact that free agency started at six o'clock Eastern instead of midnight um, may have impacted the the flurry of deals, and then 
the way things, the night kept going, the day kept going, typically you get to midnight and there's only a couple hours that there's some stuff right off the top and then it picks up again the next day. I One guy in particular thought that the timing change may have given life to more stuff tonight. I hadn't thought about that, but it, but it makes sense. It does. I mean, I imagine even though I, if you had one of these jobs, I can't imagine ever sleeping the first few days, you know, whether it's the lead up or the night of or, you know, technically starting, you know, the first minute of the next thing. You know, we used to listen to these ridiculous stories about making sure you were parked outside the right guy to show him you were the number one priority. Um, either some of the stuff we already knew was done um, and, and you had had some of that, but we also just had an unprecedented number of guys that were going to change the landscape of the NBA, and we knew that half the league was going into this with a ton of cap space, which, you know, means for other teams that are hoping to piece together with serviceable players, serviceable players, it's going to be harder and harder. But I don't, I don't even know how you're you're up. I mean, I guess it's just the the adrenaline rush of today, and I want to talk about it a lot later once we get to all the players. But the timing of it. Definitely had something to do with it. And I just sat there, you know, on my phone and watching TV for seven plus hours going, this is unlike anything that I've ever seen in paying attention to this league for almost 20 years. Yeah, it was, um, it was something else. It really was, um, the speed in which everything, the way everything was coming today. And, you know, two, you know, one of the deals, um, what the Sixers did and bringing in, you know, essentially shipping out Jimmy Butler, bringing in Al Horford. You know, really, you know, for the second time in really the third time in what, seven months, six months, they've really transformed that roster. Started with the Jimmy Butler trade when they moved Sarich and Robert Covington out. Then they make the Tobias Harris trade, and that changes the landscape of that team. Landry Shamit goes out and they trade a bunch of picks and well, two two more picks, and you have that team. And you know you had Joel Embiid in out of the lineup there at the end of the year, and he come so. But can, they, can, can I ask you then? Yeah. Can we go by it like because yeah. there's so many different pieces of that, right? So let's start with the Jimmy Butler thing because I thought you said two things that were a little leading and really interesting. So I'm sorry if I, if you think I'm catching you here, but you had said today at one point it was kind of time to move on from the Jimmy Butler experiment, and. I can't tell if that was Philly deciding, you know what, this guy just might not fit what we're trying to do here because I thought in the playoffs he was exactly what they needed, a guy that was a little bit older and said, screw it, get out of the way. I'll go ahead and take these tougher shots because Simmons floats in and out. And I think for times, even though I love Embiid, it's tough for him to always be the option when people defend him the way they defend him. So what was it about them going, you know what, we're going to pay Tobias 180, but we don't want to do the fifth year for Jimmy Butler? Well, I mean, start with age first of all, and what they gave up for the player. Tobias Harris is five, about five years younger than Jimmy Butler, and they gave up far more for him. It's harder to, you know, they were, and, and certainly the personalities are different. Um, Tobias is a, Tobias is just a guy who fits in everywhere he goes. He's just such an outstanding, um, I don't want to say he's an, well, he is an easy guy, and that's, that meant as a compliment. He's just, he he's going to get along. He's going to be a great teammate. Uh, he's going to, um, you know, and like like they knew what they were getting when they traded for him. And you know, I do think the question, you know, the Clippers moved on from him. They weren't going to max him out. You you know who the Clippers are after in free agency, and and they got so much for him. I mean, really got so much for him. And so, um, but Butler. 
like it's not listen Jimmy's a complex individual he's a complex player because like you said Ryan you see in the playoffs in big moments he wants the ball he makes big shots uh in a lot of ways he fit the personality of that city perfectly right and yet um there are strong personalities on that team Joel and you know you got the Joel Ben and you've got to decide um do you want to pay Tobias Harris five years, $180 million, which is the deal that, that we reported tonight, to be a fourth option or, or to be – you're going to kind of get some diminished returns there. And now Al Horford comes in, and, and you know what he brings as a professional leadership. I mean, what a great – he will have a tremendous impact in that organization, in that locker room. I think that was really important for them. And, and, and he can obviously really play. They can play him at the four. Next to Embiid, if Embiid, he can play some five when Embiid's out, and you know if Embiid has to miss games, you you can play him at center. And defensively, they'll be outstanding. And you know he can spread the floor. And they're going to miss JJ Redick. He, he's played really well for them. And what, New Orleans is another story. I mean, they've David Griffin's done an outstanding job there uh, in, in his short time. JJ, two years, twenty six and a half million dollars. I think a very good contract for him at this stage of his career. Um, but you know, the one thing right now, though, is that sign-and-trade with Miami and Dallas as a third team, they need some help. They they still have they still need to work. They've got till the sixth to do it, and they've still got to work through that trade, and, and um, Miami's got to figure out what players are going to go out and where because there seemed to be a, either a misunderstanding or miscommunication. Ramona, Tim McMahon eventually were reporting on that tonight, so... There's still some work to do, work to be done on that three way. Uh, I do know, you know, obviously Houston wanted Jimmy Butler. You know, Jimmy wanted Miami um, because I think he liked the idea of having a team built more around him than being maybe the third wheel with the Rockets, even though that was close to his childhood home. And Miami came really close to trading for Jimmy Butler uh, in Minnesota earlier this year, really close. I mean, they had a couple. There were a couple times I was told, "Hey, this deal's." happening it's almost done and and then it kind of it fell apart i think maybe when minnesota went back and asked for something additional from miami so they're it seems like they're going to get them and they'll find a way to get this done um and miami's a whole other story what they're trying to piece to get back together there but uh yeah like the east is now we wait for Kawhi. we wait and see if Kawhi's is going to still be in the east and and, and go from there so on the, um, you know, because I don't want to make this dated because, you know, by the time it comes out, maybe they, they'll sort this thing out. But, I mean, the Jimmy thing, it's now predicated on someone finding another landing spot for Dragic because I did think, I don't know if I was reading too much into it, but all of a sudden as you started seeing it fall apart and then people were like, wait a minute, what is Dallas worried about this year's cap space for after we just saw all these guys move on? Because the Olenek deal is 13 a year. You'd rather have Dragic, I would think, for one year, but Olenek's got the second year at 13, which is a player option, which I imagine he would be picking up. Right. Um, that that kind of felt like I couldn't really explain it because I go, wait, wait, what's going on? Are they just hoping to you know have cap space to absorb a trade later on, or is there something else we're not thinking about? Yeah. Can I, can I be honest with you, Ryan? My head yeah. is – I've lost track of who was in that deal – I mean, like, no I, just lost, no. I just lost track of. Okay. Let's, like, I was, try, I, I was trying to think of who the Knicks signed, and I'm like, wait, I broke all three of them, but I don't remember any of them. Was that, <laughs> was that trade deadline, or was that, 
how many hours ago is that? <laughs> I'll try to have your back on it. Yeah. Can I ask you about the Horford deal? Because the numbers yeah. came in at, at uh, 97. At first yes. it was 109. 109. And, you, and you, you had the 12 million in, in bonuses that, yep. that seem pretty tough to yeah. reach if it's based have to on win championship. The championship. Yeah. yeah, okay. So, and I agree with you, like Horford, he's, he's been one of my favorite players in the league. He was one of my favorite players coming out, you know, in that ridiculous draft. I go, man, whoever ends up with Horford should be thrilled. And I've interviewed him a couple times and I remember always saying to him, like, isn't it kind of funny that your whole career you've played out of position? And I even said tonight on Twitter, I go, you know, he finally gets to play his natural position and people are so used to him playing center. They're like, what the hell are you talking about? And the truth is, is that he's really going to be even better. And they can split up the minutes away from Embiid. I think another win for the Sixers is that he, there's no way he can guard Embiid anymore, which was always really impressive. His half-court uh, efficiency stuff with his assist numbers, the threes, like the way he kind of kept that Celtics offense rolling was a really underrated thing. But when he opted out, it surprised some people because the Celtics, I think, at that time felt like, okay, you can opt out and then we'll just do a different deal. And then the numbers started floating around yeah. and he'd get to 110. And granted, this could get to 1-9, but was there – was there enough out there? Was it Sacramento? Was it New Orleans? Were there enough suitors out there that he was going to make, you know, a hundred million over four? Because he's going to be what thirty six at the end of this deal. Yeah, the thirty thirty seven at the end of it, right? And so, you know, Boston, I was told, was willing to go to four years, but the numbers just weren't close to what um, Philly did, and I think what maybe Sacramento would have been willing to do. Um, you know, you mentioned New Orleans, which which made sense for them. You know. Uh, Drew Holiday is represented by the same agent as uh, Al Horford, Jason Glushan, and that seemed like that could make sense for them. You know, they drafted Jackson Hayes from Texas to be their center, uh, and you could say, well, maybe they'll bring him along. They want to win in New Orleans. They're not trying to, like, they, they think they have a playoff team. I, they, I think they do, too. Um, although, you said it right. Everybody in the West seems like a playoff team. They can't all be. Um, somebody's falling out. Uh, a couple, maybe a few teams are going to fall out. So, uh, but yeah, it just, the Horford thing, there was only so far Danny Ainge, you know, he, listen, Danny Ainge is usually pretty disciplined with, you know, he sees what a value is for a player. He puts a value on a player and he's not, you know, he, he, he walks, he walked away from it. Um, and, you know, obviously their ability to go out and get Kemba Walker, which is probably we move into that for a moment, uh, I thought I said Kemba was on SVP tonight, and uh, we had talked earlier in the week about helping him get on the show, and didn't know where he was going to go even before we knew he was headed to Boston. And you know when we helped set it up, I think the thought was, well, maybe he'll just be going back to Charlotte, and that'll be fine because Kemba's. You know, to me, Kemba's. I always thought with Kemba Walker, Ryan, the years in Charlotte, I would always, I always felt like. He was as important to his team as any player in, in the NBA was to his team. When you look at he kept that building, you know, he, he he was good enough to keep him fighting for the playoffs. He kept that building. I mean, people in that city came out to watch him. He was the identity of that organization, and and he wanted to win there. He never really wanted to leave. It was like kind of kind of like Kevin Garnett in Minnesota, where people would always say to him, "I mean, come on, just just." Go to a big market. Get out of here. They, they can't put the right pieces around you. And, you know, Garnett, it wasn't until Garnett's early 30s that he finally said, okay, enough's enough, and and, and I'm going to go. And Kemba, even through all that, Kemba still wanted to stay. And I remember last year at the trade deadline when I reported that they had started to shop him in some – some they were starting to have conversations about him uh, at the, before the trade deadline. He was – I remember you watched that interview with him 
after a practice one day, and he was legitimately devastated. He loves that city. I, I admire him for it. Like, you know, a lot of guys, Ryan, they want max money. They want to be called the franchise player. But sometimes when it gets hard or it's not going well, it's everybody else's fault. I'm not going to be accountable for it. They don't have the right and – like, and he. this is a guy who had legitimate reason to gripe. He had a great head coach there in Steve Clifford, but they didn't do a good job of that roster. Michael Jordan has cut around the corners a lot there in, in lots of areas around the organization. And all this guy ever did was say, I'm going to fight. I'm going to make it better. I'm going to plow through this. I, I, I just admire him a lot. I don't think every – he understood the responsibilities that came – with being a max guy, and it wasn't just when things are going well. Yeah, when he became eligible for the five for two twenty one, you go, okay. Well, I like him a lot too, but man, I I don't know if you can do that deal. No, it's not and, meant. The two twenty one is not meant for Ken. That's not a shot to Kevin Walker. No, the we're super totally max is meant right. for probably about legitimately five or six guys in the NBA. Right. So he qualifies for it, and then he, in an unprecedented way, even admits, "Hey, that's all right. We don't have to do that." And then when you heard the numbers were coming in south of five years, 170, and please, obviously, Woj, correct me if any of this is, is off from your info. And then you go, okay, you know, what, what's the point here if I'm doing the four years with Boston? And I think for Boston trying to salvage what was a week where they knew Kyrie was already on the way out, but then they add the Horford thing to it and you go, okay, what's this team going to look like? We just went through, if you're the Celtics saying, you know, we didn't think we had to rebuild, you know, and then, you you just know that ownership there that like they were not thinking about okay let's just let's just be bad again because you still feel like if Tatum and and Jalen and if Gordon Hayward can even get close now you know another year removed from the injury then there's still something to work with there knowing that you're gonna have to pay Jalen and Tatum um, to build around on top of Hayward's contract like you had to strike now while you had Kyrie and Horford's contracts moving off and for somebody who Kemba's not as good as Kyrie but is just going to get along with everybody a lot better. He, he's not, and I don't want to turn this into a, a knocking Kyrie thing because I've done enough of that already, but it was just something where it just made a lot of sense because Kemba's going to feel appreciated up there. The Boston fans are going to cheer for him in a way that he's probably going to be thrown off by because they're going to be cheering kind of in an anti-Kyrie way. And it all makes a lot of sense, even with his contract. Also knowing that today, and we'll see how the rest of the Toronto stuff shakes out, Like I don't know if they're even the fourth best team in the East, but I felt like it just kind of made sense for everybody, but certainly isn't headlining enough to go, okay, now they're the team to beat in the East, because I don't think anybody would say that. Ryan, as, as a Boston guy, as somebody who cover who, who follows that team as closely as you do, knows the psyche of the region, what do you think happened between Kyrie Irving and that organization and the city and uh, his teammates? How now that it's over, he's in Brooklyn. What, what happened there? Well, you know, in the beginning, I actually thought it was kind of brilliant that Kyrie said what he said. You know, hey, if you'll have me back. And it was like, okay, wow. You know, we're going to put this thing to bed right now. This is this is crazy. Because I always thought, even though Ainge didn't pay much of a premium for a Kyrie Irving, because, you know, Kyrie kind of crushes his own trade market when the trade is going to be going through in late August, right? I mean, that's a completely different level than, say, doing it at the beginning of July. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, is Kyrie, like, is he really going to want to stay in Boston? And then it felt like throughout most of the year, Boston was very confident that it was just a matter of time. And then the assets were going to be flipped for Anthony Davis and it was going to be Kyrie and AD. And I, 
I know that, you know, some teams can be wishful, but I feel like Boston really felt like it was a, a, a reality. I mean, you know, not 100%, but like there's, there's a really good chance to be able to pull that off. And the best way it's been explained to me and all the different Kyrie stories that I've heard is not that he's this awful guy. It's that he's just very different and that he sees the world differently and it didn't always vibe in a locker room setting. And I also think younger guys, Woj, were entitled is the wrong word, but kind of empowered with their run in the playoffs two years ago, feeling like they're a couple shots away of playing in the NBA Finals when Kyrie couldn't be bothered to go to the game. And so, you know, when when I when I thought about that, because I think that playoff run's a little overrated on who that group really was, and we realized, you know, the East wasn't even close two years ago where it is right now, that whether that bothered Kyrie or those guys were bothered by it, that Kyrie never felt like the younger guys respected him the way he wanted to be respected. And some of it was like, hey, dude, you're not that much older than us, and mm-hmm. look what we just did when you weren't even around. And that bothered Kyrie, and it just kept growing. And, you know, he starts thinking about the Durant thing, where clearly he, he feels closer to Durant than than anybody that he, you know, interacted with with the Celtics. But, you know, this is two times now. You know, this is two teams in a very short amount of time where he's felt like, I can't work in these conditions, and people just grow tired of it. And so, you know, when I hear the Gordon Hayward thing, like I know a lot of reporters have come out and said this, and if a player on the Celtics says to you, you know, you know how it is, right? Like if a, if a player on the Celtics said to you, Woj, you know what really bothered a couple guys on the team that they started the, the season with Gordon Hayward as a starter when he wasn't ready, and that bothered us. I've heard that so many times, and if somebody tells a reporter that, then the reporter's going to go with it because it's a real source thing. But it's also ridiculous. Gordon Hayward started like 15 games at the start of the year. He had a couple of bright spots, but you could tell he wasn't back. And then they benched him. And then they stopped even closing games with him. So if the team was so emotionally fragile that they were going to be shattered from the idea that Gordon Hayward started 15 games at the beginning of the season, then that team isn't nearly as tough as they kept telling us they were all year long. So when I hear the Hayward thing, although I'm sure accurate, I would really wonder, like, are you really trying to tell me that that's the number one factor that this team went south? Because it was an incredibly underachieving team. Well, it'll be interesting to see what they're going to be with with Kemba. And, you know, I, I, you said it. Like, in a lot of ways, I mean, they're going to embrace him for all the things. He, he's the same guy. He's going to come to work every day. He's going to be the same guy every single day. He's going to be the hardest working guy there. He's going to be a leader. Steve Clifford, I remember him telling me a story. When Steve Clifford took over in Charlotte his first year and Kemba, um, you know, Kemba's there and Kemba comes to Summer League and, you know, Steve was coaching the Summer League team. He was a first-time head coach and he thought, I'll just get out here and coach these guys like a lot of first-time head coaches do. And what, what, always, what he always remembered about Kemba was Kemba comes to Summer League and he just went through the practice with the Summer League guys the first day. And he remembers him going through like some cone drill, going harder than the guys who were there trying to make the team. And this just what a uh, what what a standard it set around that organization. But uh, he'll be he will be beloved there. Um, and and you know, in a lot of ways, it made perfect sense to plug him. You know, to plug him right in there. Uh, Boston still got to get a center. Thought they were Robin Lopez was a player they were interested in. He goes to Milwaukee where now we have Brooke and Robin Lopez together, which was something they were actually thinking about back at the trade deadline. Well, when there was talk of Robin getting a buyout in Chicago, he probably would have went to Milwaukee. 
And um, right, but didn't they not want to do the buyout because they were afraid he was going to go to Golden State? Remember that? That, that is, that they was, were. They were. Was, I don't know why it mattered. But. They were really, really uh, preventative on that one. And I just remember talking to some different people, like they don't want him to go to the Golden State Warriors so bad that they're not even going to do the deal. Uh, how about how about Ryan to Milwaukee? So they bring in Robin Lopez. They move out. They 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 resign. Uh. Middleton, yeah, Chris Middleton at one hundred and seventy-eight million dollars. I thought Chris Middleton had as much leverage as any player in the NBA. Uh, his, his agent Mike Lindeman at XL, you know, got that deal done. I think the most ever for a second-round pick. Um, I mean, one hundred seventy-eight million is one of the biggest deals ever. And, I mean, and, man, what a stat yeah, that is! It really oh, right. And uh, he's a, he's an awesome success story. Zach Lowe did a tremendous piece on him earlier last year uh, on dot com and. Uh, just what a great, uh, what a great story he is of perseverance and, and, and a guy who just gained confidence as he went along and, and, and but, so he goes in, but, but at 178 million, which is an out, I mean, it, listen, it's a, it's a tremendous number, obviously, but they, they couldn't replace him if he left. And oh, by the way, you let Chris Middleton walk, like, w- what are you doing with Giannis? Like Giannis is, you're in big trouble with Giannis, right? Like big trouble. So yeah, that's, was, that's, that, but Malcolm Brogdon ended up being like they weren't going to pay Malcolm Brogdon. Um, you know, they did the sign and trade with Indiana at what eighty five million dollars, um, eighty six, whatever it was, eighty five, eighty six. We had, and uh, uh, you know, they recover from, you know, they lose Bogdanovich, who, by the way, like that thing was going to get done until the Jazz came rolling in. I mean, I I think Bogdanovich's deal in Indiana. Would have probably looked like fifty three, fifty four million dollars, and here comes Utah in and just blows that out of the water at seventy three, and so they do eighty with. And now you've got his when Oladipo comes back. What a great! That's one of the best defensive backcourts in the league, Brogdon Oladipo. And 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 I keep hearing Oladipo's rehab. You keep seeing him on his Instagram and his social media, but you talk to the folks in Indiana, and they're really optimistic that they could see him back. Uh, maybe even before New Year's, which is pretty incredible given the severity of that injury. Okay, so two things then, because I want to just circle back to the Bucks thing and then transition that into the Pacers, if you don't mind, because I actually do really like how the Pacers kind of salvage this thing um, despite losing Bogdanovich. But you're right, like the Middleton number comes in and I go, man, you know, is he really that? But it doesn't matter. Like I have to stop myself as soon as I start second-guessing the deal, even though that may be one down the road where you go, oh, man, look at this deal. And, you know, it's kind of – I don't want to say it's like, it's the same thing, but I remember like the first time LeBron was in Cleveland and they kept just trying to reinvent themselves on the fly all the time and taking on bigger numbers, but it was always in this movement to prove to LeBron what they could do and that yeah. they weren't afraid, but ultimately it became even worse because LeBron's like, this isn't working. And so you're right. You have to keep Giannis happy on this one, but is there any part of this where you go, because of Brogdon and where he was drafted, and then off the foot injury, knowing how steady he is, and I think he's a really good guard that can play with other guards. You know, he's somebody who you can you can run off the ball, you can have him initiate everything. Like it's really he's a very versatile guy who has great shooting numbers across the board. But is there any hesitation of like why would the Bucks were the Bucks just scared off by that number? Was there something else, or is it you know other teams that were involved where the Pacers like now we're going to throw some picks at you too for the right to give him eighty five million? Yeah, yeah, I just think the number. Um... I had when I when I was when I kept hearing that the number would be around eighty, and I think the Bucks were were bracing for around eighty million. It was unclear whether they were they would keep them. I don't know that five or six million more makes 
a difference, but you just sort of make a decision at some point. Um, you know, they, they got the Bledsoe deal done before the season, or excuse me, before the season was over. Um, they got his extension done. And, uh, yeah, it's just a lot of money. And Brooke Lopez costs them more. So Brooke comes back at four yeah. for 52. He's basically free last year. Yeah. Like, has anybody in one year, tra- like, he, I mean, it, it's incredible the way he transformed his, and he could be on the Lakers. The Lakers, Luke Walton wanted to keep him, and Magic wanted Michael Beasley. And so, that didn't go. Well, I could great. see that. That didn't go great, um, but <laughs> didn't go great. And you know what I loved about the Brook Lopez stuff is, is people were trying to fill up, fill out like rosters around super teams, and you're going, well, you know, you throw Brook Lopez like five, and you go, no, no, no. <laughs> what what did he play for last year at three million? Like that's that's not going to happen again. And it, you're right. I mean, it's a perfect situation for him in Milwaukee to show his versatility as opposed to. You know, when he was in Brooklyn at times, you go, you know, is he rebound enough? Is he really the center? He posts so far away from the hoop. And now it's like Budenholzer just goes, hey, well, we just turn you around and start taking shots and stretch the floor so that you can leave lanes for Giannis. I mean, he's actually a perfect complementary center for Giannis, whether it's driving or bailing on drives and throwing it out to a guy who can hit shots like that. All right. We can't, can't do a podcast without the Lakers. Shocking. The fact that we talked about the Jazz before the Lakers is probably – I know it's my first pod at ESPN. I'll probably get fined for that. I'm guessing. <laughs> um, we were holding out, maybe, right? Yeah, we're, yeah, we're, no, it's, uh, no, so, we knew, so, so, we knew nothing was happening. Right. Tonight. So Kawhi Leonard, who sort of allowed the league to go, uh, insane for a day while he kind of sat it out and, uh, didn't end up doing any real meetings today. And now he's got, now he's center stage the rest of the way here. Um, ha, Where's I'm your, not, don't ask me first. You, no, no, no. Give, where, no, no, no. Where's your, where, <laughs> where, where's your head on this, on, on this? We, like, it, it's, it's Toronto. It's, um, the Clippers and Lakers. I'm guessing the Knicks probably took themselves out of the Kawhi Leonard sweepstakes. Would you probably say that maybe today? I'm kidding. I think they're probably out of it. Although I think I'm they're sure probably, they, would, they were never. If he called them, I'm sure they'd take the call. It's just that well, those teams know that he's not going to call anybody. He's, so. he's not calling anybody. Um, so, where do you think this goes? Where do you think this goes this week? <laughs> All right. Well, let me. Um, I feel like you know I'm sitting here with Woj, and and I I need to start with with you on the. But I'll, I'll go because I think it kind of is fitting that you're asking me to answer this first because. I can tell when teams on a day like today are shooting me a text and be like, hey, you hear anything? I go, over the man, if this isn't true. Because right after the draft, I went on with Van Pelt and I said, you know, this is an unprecedented, um, I, I would say unprecedented lack of information about somebody of his caliber. Like the most, the most unbelievable control of the lack of information I've, I've ever seen. And teams that I trust were telling me that going back to last week and leading up to the draft going, there's nothing like this guy. There's nothing like this. No, like, the teams don't have, like, everybody's flying a little blind. Masai has, Masai and Toronto have an advantage because they built a relationship with him. As much of a relationship as you're going to have with him, but Masai, I give Masai so much credit for what he's done in the time since he made that trade. And Kawhi Leonard walked in that building and after the trade and, and he was going to be professional about it and he was going to play, but he was not staying in Toronto. That was going to be a one year way station. And day after day after day, Toronto made its case to him by how they handled 
you know, by how they handled the quad injury and and the and and all the medical that went into it and how they you know allowed him to take control of you know sitting and playing and when it mattered most at the end of the season he was at his very best and and I still think they feel in Toronto they there's even a healthier Kawhi Leonard they could have back is is as amazing as he was through that season as incredible as he was in the playoffs like still kind of limping around a little bit and there's another summer to to rest that to to work that body rest that body and they think there's even a better version of him to come back again and so that's certainly an advantage like it's not easy to walk in the lakers will walk in the clippers will walk in nobody in the clippers room knows him they have spent the year surveying him and preparing for this and and all the things that LA the clippers have done to prepare for this free agency i would I would make the case that I don't think I've ever seen or been aware of or know more about how much one team prepared to go after a free agent the way the Clippers did. Now, that speaks to the thoroughness of Lawrence Frank and Michael Winger and and Steve Ballmer's commitment to doing this and uh, the, the people they brought in that front office, uh, Trent Redd and Lee Jenkins. Like, this was... Like they were focused on that team there that would that wildly overachieved at almost fifty wins, just incredible what Doc did with that team. But like they put a lot into trying to get to these three or four days here of trying to get Kawhi Leonard and and, and obviously the Lakers, he's the final piece for them to maybe the biggest big three we've ever seen in the NBA. So the Toronto thing makes a lot of sense now because it's all happened, right? And if he goes back for a shorter deal We'll go, hey, you know what? We all should have seen that coming. The guy just won a title there. Everything you just said, the way they took care of him, Masai's relationship with him. And you're right. In moments where he looked like he was hurt in the playoffs, I mean, it's horrifying to think of him not being at 100% with some of the stuff he just did in the playoffs. If you're the Clippers, you have this great aggressive owner. You have a great coach in Doc Rivers who's incredible with vets. I've seen it firsthand. I, I will get in a screaming matches with people that don't think Doc Rivers is a good head coach. Oh, that's ridiculous. And Lawrence Frank, who's awesome, and I remember you introducing me to Winger at the Combine, you know, a couple different times, and and just, you know, no one's ever told me, you know, not like they're going to go out of their way to tell me the plan, but, you know, they don't, they don't know, I'd imagine, just like other teams don't know. And the part where I look at this for the Clippers, you go, man, if they end up without this guy, and you've watched all of these other people sign, like, this is the part of Kawhi where I go, well, wait a minute, do you know you're going back to Toronto? Do you like this attention for these few days? Because if you're just going back to Toronto, like, I can't imagine being in that office with the Clippers going, okay, so everybody just signed, and now what? Like, we're just going to run this thing back? And we can talk about the the fun <laughs> story of, of the Clippers and what they were, but, I mean, this is a huge come down from the two max slots and not being able to sign maybe a, a Tier 2 star, not being able to pull off the AD trade. And then you have the Lakers, where, from what I've heard and – you know, I know you trust me with this just because, you know, I have these weird relationships, especially living out here in Los Angeles now, but the Kawhi pitch, whether it's from the Lakers or LeBron, is this, and that LeBron basically is saying, hey, this is going to be your team in two years. I have heard this for years, but LeBron at one point wants to play with his son, and depending on when that happens, that's going to be LeBron's priority, and that may not be with the Lakers, so I don't know when that's going to be, mm-hmm. and that they're willing to defer. The LeBron is saying for the first time in his basketball life that he's willing to defer the style of play 
and they're going to tell him anything he wants to hear. They're going to tell Kawhi, you know, you can you can take all the last shots. You can run the offense through you. And LeBron has a style of play that that could, I'd say, adapt to another guy like that. And Anthony Davis puts up massive numbers without being selfish, so I could see it working. But if you're either one of the LA teams, and I think another part of it's going to be like, look, Kawhi, if you're coming to LA, come to the come to the actual franchise, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that because I don't feel that way about the Clippers. I love what the Clippers are trying to do here. But it's just the vibe out in Los Angeles. Like, if you're going to be Kawhi Leonard, you're going to come to one of the L.A. basketball franchises. Like, what are you, nuts? Mm-hmm. You're going to pick the Lakers. So I don't know if any of that stuff gets through to him. I, I, I just don't because, like I've said, numerous people that have had interactions with him tell me, you know, I still don't really know him. I think there are Spurs mm-hmm. people that are still confused about that exit and are just kind of sitting there wondering how much they even knew the guy. So... I look at this as a really weird thing for Kawhi where it's cool, you're in charge, it's cool, you don't tell anybody, I'm not knocking for that, but I don't know if you're doing your rosters any service, if it's one of the L.A. rosters, by waiting this long, knowing that if you had made some sort of decision, maybe there's some other moves, certainly with the Clippers, that they could have pulled off had they had any idea what Kawhi's plans were. Yeah, listen, I think, you know, you've earned free agency, and he has, and and he can do it. At his pace, like he's never been a free agent. I mean, it. I mean, it did just start tonight. Even though we all know, sure it did. It started <laughs> not tonight. Uh, hey, can I say something about that? Like, I, I, we're going to go on to. I want to finish this, but there's this case everyone's making up. What a joke tampering is, and we all know that these deals are getting done. And I will say this: I think there is a. I think there is. Generally around the league, a gentleman's agreement that when a player is becoming a free agent or is a free agent, nobody really cares what you do with the player from, let's say, when his season ends until free agency. Like, they're talking to the agent. Like, I know there's players who they're going to sneak a meeting with a GM before July 1. That goes on. Um, it's really not that. Now, what I still think is the big, what is real tampering is when a guy is under contract and a guy has a year left on his deal or two years left on his deal and you're messing with that guy on somebody else's roster to get him to demand a trade. Like now that's that's that interferes you know it's only one GM made the distinction to me and 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 I and I I think he's right about it. There's a difference between um now I can't I'm trying to remember how he worded it. Essentially interference Tampering and interference, interfering with my team. You're interfering with my organization. When a guy's under contract, a year left. I mean, Paul George, you go back, he was two years left on his deal. Kawhi Leonard, two years left on his deal. Uh, that's what I think the issue What I don't think teams have issues with, like, we're negotiating a deal before June 30th or July 1, like, for a guy who's becoming a free agent. Like, that is just sort of accepted. And... I think there is a difference between that and what people when teams get banged for tampering or when it's when it bothers organizations. So I wanted to say that, um, and then I forget the whole where we were. I told no, you I have, I have nothing somewhere. to add to that other than right. I just I think complaining about the tampering or saying oh my gosh, we'll announce the deal before the actual start. Like who cares? I mean seriously, it's such I don't I don't understand why anybody gets worked up about any of that stuff. The only thing that's a less of a waste of time is complaining about players tampering with each other. It's never going to be solved. Players are going to talk to each other. Move on. Find something else. We were talking Kawhi though, so you, you sounded like oh, you had oh, yes, something yes, great yes, to say. Oh yes, yes, yes. I did. No, I did. I did have a point. 
I did have I heard a point. It was going to be really good one. Yeah, I think. Well, I probably. I probably, did my did I my pro- point make any sense though on the on that Lakers stuff? No, absolutely, absolutely. And I think to build off that, like who Kawhi is, his brand. I hate that word, but his brand, his reputation, his body of work has been. He's the guy who takes on the super team. He's the guy who beats the super team in Miami, in Golden State. And and I know the Golden State team wasn't all there anymore, but 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 yeah, he did. I get your point though, right? right? That's his thing. And he's the guy who takes those teams on. And I do think that having the thing built around him has appeal to him. And so I'm not saying he's not going to pick the lake. It doesn't fit with who he's been, the kind of success he's had. Now, maybe he looks at the Lakers and says, I, I want to play with talent like that. But he hasn't He hasn't needed that to win. He hasn't needed to have that. Now, he listen, he won with two great, two really good teams. It was a San Antonio team where their stars were um, still great, very good. They, they weren't in their prime anymore. And, and then a Toronto team that was really balanced and deep and uh, – you know, I mean, it was an outstanding team. He didn't win with a bunch of he didn't win with bums in Toronto. Like, like there's great players there, but it was built around him. The Clippers are positioned to build an entire organization around him. And you know, I was reading that Mike Winger quote before about what they, how they want their organization, and they, he and he brought up the Steelers. And if Kawhi yeah. Leonard was a football player, like he'd be a Pittsburgh Steeler, wouldn't he? Yeah, I, I don't, I mean, I'm trying to think. So I just see the, the only fit, other team I, I could think that would there. love him would be the Patriots because he never talks. Yeah, so, well, yes. Yeah, 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 exactly. No, but I think it, he certainly fits how they tried. It was kind of like a team, you know, say less, do more. That was kind of their team last year. And, and the one thing that I've been told that's going to be really important when he sits down with the Clippers is how he hit the, the connection there between Doc Rivers in him, that that will be very important, that he's got a touchstone in that room and day-to-day, and I think that's where the Clippers are really well-positioned because Doc has shown that as a coach, and you said it, like Doc is an elite coach in the NBA, and maybe he needed last year to remind people of that. I, I Listen, and I, Mike Budenholzer was incredible in Milwaukee, incredible what he came in and did. He, he made that team much better, but... Nobody got more out of their basketball team last year than Doc Rivers did. I mean, they traded their best player in Tobias Harris, and they almost went a whole month without losing. I mean, that the month after, they, they had the best record in the NBA. Like, it, it was incredible. And, and then they go in the playoffs, take two games off the Warriors and at Oracle. Just remarkable. So that's going to help them, I think, in this. I think that's certainly a positive. Steve Ballmer... Um, you know, if you're from Southern California and you're going to li- maybe live there the rest of your life and and you have a relationship with the richest owner in sports, like those are all things that are um, they're selling points. But you said, hey, the Lakers are the Lakers. And it's it's the biggest platform in all of basketball. Like there's no, there's no interest that even compares to the interest there is in the Lakers. He grew up in Southern California. A year ago when he asked for the trade – he wanted to go to the Lakers, and something changed over the year where he became, um, you know, the Clippers certainly became a factor, uh, a big factor in this. So um, we'll see how long this plays out this week, how, how long this goes. And, and um, yeah, the, the only the balance of power in the NBA is on the line here. 
So there's one that we haven't really done here. I mean, we talked Durant on the net side of this, but how about the Golden State D'Angelo Russell deal? So they're still working through that. They're still working through that. I think the wording we I, I had in the final story tonight was trying to finalize a deal, and uh, they're working through parameters on that and what that would look like. And Kevin Durant has to sign off on this. D'Angelo's got to sign off on it. The, the, the teams do. Um, it would be a four-year, $117 million deal for Russell if this gets done. You know, these these sign-in trades and these, they always get, there's always some turbulence, typically. You're seeing it with, you're seeing it with the uh, Jimmy Butler deal. You're, you're going to see it maybe with this. Just, it, it takes some work to get these things to the finish line. And so we'll 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 see how that plays out overnight into tomorrow. Um, but do they know this though? Like, did they? I mean, look, I I know teams can only say so much, but is there is there a thought of? I mean, obviously Bob Myers is thinking all the different angles here, and you know, I imagine they kind of knew Durant was moving on. I mean, did they think they were going to be close with the five year max with him? Did they think? I mean, that gave him a chance of talking to him, but did they? Did they go into that saying, man, oh, he said no, and we were surprised? Like, I don't think they were surprised. No, and like, you know, it's funny. Listen, look, look at Kevin Durant. Like, he has shown over and over that he's willing to take less. You know, listen, most of these big stars in the league, Kawhi Leonard has shown. He walked away from $220 million in San Antonio coming off of a season he played nine games. He could have just banked that. He Maybe he didn't know exactly how he would respond and come back and um, from the injury, and Kevin Durant took less money two years in Golden State to allow them to keep Iguodala, yep. keep Sean Livingston, and how about that, Andre Iguodala in Memphis tonight now. Wow. And so um, he has shown that he's not going to just, you know, like, like that's not the end game, and he took less again, and he and, he, he and uh, Kyrie Irving gave back um, some money to – be able to sign DeAndre Jordan to that ten-year, excuse me, four-year, uh, forty million dollar deal, ten million a year. So uh, Bob Bob Myers was in New York and and met, um, you know, he met with Kevin Durant and Rich Kleiman on uh, Sunday, and they were um, they they let him know that it was um, that he was leaving and he was moving on and. And you know, I give them, they did it in person. They sat, they talked, and you know, I think Bob Myers has been. You know, I thought Bob Myers as much as anybody in Golden State. He, he had as close of a relationship, I think. I mean, Kevin Durant could speak to that better than I can, who he's closest with. But I, I know that well, around that organization, there certainly was a feeling that Bob was as close to him as anybody was, and I think there was some distance at times with him and teammates there. And uh, Bob built the relationship with him the way Masai did with. With um, Kawhi and uh, you know, I think like Bob Myers's sort of feeling was it was hey, thank you, thank you for coming here and winning two championships and 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 putting your body on the line to come out and try to help us win a third in a row and obviously the injury he suffered, you saw the emotion the night of the injury and when Bob Myers got up and spoke and um, but. I think they were prepared that he was going to leave. And so, yeah, you start to think of those contingencies. And one of those contingencies was, hey, let's bring, let's look at bringing D'Angelo Russell in. And, and so that's something they're trying to work through. 
Yeah, because I looked at that and I thought, man, huh. Because, you know, Russell, tough start to the career. This past year was incredible. I don't think I saw it coming. I know the counter is, oh, he was young. But you go, you know, sometimes you start developing a style and you wonder, you know, what it's going to be like. And he was so good this year. And then I look at Golden State and I think, okay, basketball fit-wise, you know, he's a little ISO heavy, you know, high screen and roll. Everybody kind of just, you know, ride out what I'm doing here. That's not who they've been at all. And yet I also understand Myers looking at it going, okay, we're, we're going to be screwed either way. So if we can figure out a way to add this kind of max slot asset essentially and then figure it out. Cause I, I worried about the Warriors at the start of this upcoming season because I just can't imagine mentally where they would be at knowing the stakes that they were playing at for the six previous seasons and then to go, okay, for the first time in a long time, you know, we don't have everybody back. We don't want to wear Steph out the entire time. You know, Draymond's going to be thinking about the next contract. How good is that team really going to be? I, you know, I could almost see this version of them starting off really slowly for a month or two. Yeah. And then maybe still being good enough to, but it's just the West is so slammed right now. It's hard to eliminate, um, many teams, right? So yeah. when I started thinking about Russell's basketball fit, it's certainly a deviation from what they've done basketball wise. But when, you decide to, you know, when you have those high salary guys with the clay extension coming in and everything like that, you're better off just spending the money in a sign and trade like this and grabbing an imperfect mm-hmm. player. That's a hell of a lot better than just trying to piecemeal this thing because it wasn't like they're going to be able to add anybody. Yeah. I'm going to, we're going to wrap it up here at some point. You've got to not go to like bed that D'Angelo Russell take. Was no, 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 no. <laughs> but I want to say something about D'Angelo. No, I, what D'Angelo Russell did in Brooklyn allowed them to go get Kyrie Irving. You know, the success he had there helped him get replaced. And I'll tell you this, the growth I saw in D'Angelo Russell from the young guy, I remember spending some time with him before the draft, uh, I think up in Thousand Oaks. We went out to dinner or lunch one day, and I wrote a piece. I remember he was campaigning to me. We, we did a column, and he was talking about how badly, I was at Yahoo then, how badly he wanted to play for the Lakers and he wanted the Lakers to draft him and he sort of made his case uh, for it. And so uh, he ends up getting drafted there and, you know, part of it was the instability of the organization. Part of it was his immaturity. Part of it was an 18 year old kid from Louisville, Kentucky and gone to school in Florida who in some ways was, you know, had been away from home already. And before he went to college at Ohio state, wasn't ready for all that. He and Julius Randall, who are really too like, Really, they're good guys, and and but they got thrown into a lot there as young players, and they were at the tail end of the Kobe, you know, Kobe's farewell tour, which was really not easy to be around as a teammate. He wasn't practicing ever. He's coming out just shooting, and it was hard for the young players. But what he did in Brooklyn this year, here's what impressed me the most, and 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 I I remember talking to Bob Myers about this at one point. What impressed me the most about. D'Angelo Russell was not what he did after Karis LeVert's injury. It was not what he did to become an all-star and to carry that team in the playoffs. It was early in the year when he was getting benched in fourth quarters and they were playing Spencer Dinwiddie over here. Yeah, that right? Houston game. I'll never forget it because right? I go up. It's the same thing. Like Atkinson's benching this guy. Right. That's when I was kind of anti-Russell's game. And I go, the coach is proving that I'm right right now. But, but you know what impressed me so much was how he handled that. Yeah. He... You watched and it, and, and, it, and it was, it was not fake. He stood on that bench and he cheered his teammates on. He was a great teammate. He did not complain about it internally. He, you know, you would ask him about it and listen, he was frustrated. He wanted to play, 
But he also said, like, I'm learning, I'm getting better, this is helping me. And Kenny Atkinson and Sean Marks were the best thing that ever happened to him. They came at a point in his career where he needed to be, he, he was a little bit of a reclamation project. And to see him now be, he's a leader uh, in, in L.A. I think I, when Magic took some shots at him on the way out, he said, I need a leader. I think I'm paraphrasing. I need a leader at point guard. I, I needed a leader. Well, he became that, and it's, you know, what is he, 23 years old now? We give up on these guys. He went through the whole Nick Young thing, and I remember talking to him. I remember him, I think he was on his way to a game. He had, it was the first time he had to go back to the arena, and he, I think he kind of did a public apology. I got on the phone with him, and he talked about it for the first time, and, like, it was a lot. It was a lot for a guy that age. I, So I think – you know, Zach Lowe said it right. It was like the Lakers are recruiting him. It was like they sent him away. It was like he went to boarding school, finishing school, like Sean Marks, Kenny Atkinson, finishing school for three or four years, and then the Lakers are trying to bring him back. And now they may have wished they could have. Yeah, <laughs> had they, yeah. Had they not closed on the Russell thing. Because was, was the Minnesota thing ever close with him or no? Well, he was with Minnesota tonight. He was meeting with them when a lot of the Laker news started to break and he was with Gerson Rosas and the Minnesota group and they you know, they, they were trying to figure out a way to create cap space. I think they could have. Um, they would have had to do a sign-and-trade. They needed Brooklyn to go along with a sign-and-trade and, of course, they needed Russell to want to do that. But Carl Anthony Towns being there, I think Gerson Rosas' relationship with uh, his agents, I think, certainly was helpful and, and also Carl Anthony Towns... And, and, and D'Angelo, um, have a really strong relationship. So they're very much in it. Who knows? Maybe, maybe it still can get back to them if they can't get this thing figured out. But, um, we're going to figure out some sleep, Ryan. I'm going to let you get to bed. I'm going to, I have to ask you one more question. All right, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's right. But people have to know what this day is like for you. And I don't mean just the, hey, I'm busy and I'm on the phone all the time, but there's a fascination out there on how you dominate this news cycle. I know you hate talking about yourself. I know you're, you don't want to sit here and, and go, you're right. I, I crushed it today. Brook, Brooklyn, but, Brooklyn dominated this news cycle. Come on. No, no. For you to have, I mean, are people, I mean, does it really work that way where it's like, okay, the deal's done. Let's make sure we tell Woj. Cause that's what it feels like. It's, I don't it's know. incredible, man. I, you know, I would just say that your work on days like this, if you're spending a lot of time chasing today, you're not going to – You, I would just say – and it's like any other job. It's like it's like anybody else's job. Your work, your preparation puts you in position to maybe be in front of some stories. Your preparation you, – you've got to do it all year round. And so when days like this come or the, like a trade deadline day, and, and that's all my competitors do it. It's the same way for them. And, and it's the same way Adam Schefter does it or Ian Rappaport, NFL Network, or uh, Jeff Passan does it for us. Um, having somebody as dominant on, as, on baseball as Passan is at ESPN now is awesome. And so it's the same, and, and it's the same in any other. So you, you, you just spend your year, you're putting the work in uh, year-round, and, and you're out the way other people, the way teams are out chasing free agents – you're out chasing free agents for months to make sure you're in position to get these and and some that you're positive sure you're going to get you, you get you get backdoored on and you don't and then there's some 
that you didn't think. I said, I don't think I'm going to be in position to get that one, and you steal a couple. And so um, I always feel like when you steal one, I always think of it in your, my mind as like I'm like you're like the Oklahoma coach and you go into Texas and take a five-star recruit, right? And then when you blow one, you feel like, you know, you're the USC coach in Southern California and like some Ohio State comes in and takes your player. Like you always feel like you got to be protecting, you know, you, you, I don't know. That's how I look at it. But okay. So like I remember and my thing is different, right? You know, like you and I have, have talked about it and you've been nothing but great to me. And you know, I always think like sometimes even ESPN has a hard time trying to figure out what the hell my deal is. And you go, well, I, I, a- I know, I know what your deal is. No, right. but I mean, I know awesome. you know, and that means a lot to me, but I also know that like my standard is not your standard. I mean, you are a reporter and I'm just somebody that's like, eh, you know, maybe this, maybe that, something. And I remember the first time I ever got something right was the Antoine Walker trade back to the Celtics in 2003. And it was unlike anything I had ever felt. It was the biggest adrenaline rush ever. And I go, oh my God, like I got this thing right. And I got a bunch of stuff. I had really good Celtic stuff. I got a bunch of Celtic stuff right. And I'm just like, I'm untouchable. I'm on this roll. I'm on this dinky little radio station in Boston getting this stuff right all the time. And then I got one wrong. <laughs> and it was the worst feeling because you're seeing it happen. You're going, wait a minute, what? And then you're calling back somebody and you go, nope, nope, it's not happening now. It's not happening now. And it was one player I thought the Celtics were going to get. And to this day, if I'm, if I'm out at a Celtics game, somebody will say to me, like, I remember, hey, do you remember when you get, and, for me, someone will remember something I get wrong far more than the ten or twenty times you know I was right well, about something. You know what? So, keep, well, I, oh, sorry. Well, look, I mean, I'm, my point is that I'm not trying to like keep up. This isn't really even my world, but I remember that adrenaline rush. And you can't do this as well as you do without like there has to be a moment Woj, where you're in the car and you'll you'll hit the steering wheel because you have to be really competitive to be this good at it. And will you have that moment tonight? Did you already have it today? The only thing I'm going to hit is my pillow. Ryan, I'm dying to get on it. I will say this, and then we're going to go. I know you no, don't no, want to keep talking no, about no, this. No, no, I think no, people no. would people would want to hear two hours of this. One. No, I'm they no, ab- yeah, no, they would not. Um, <laughs> you know why we have success? This is not an. I don't do this alone. Like Bobby Marks, like Bobby Marks, is the most valuable person on the NBA at ESPN in our world. Like we can't do our jobs without Bobby Marks. It, it is. He's like, he's an elite level reporter. You just don't see his byline on it. Like, I can't tell you how many stories I get because Bobby heard something and tips, tips me off and says, Hey, you better go check that out. Same with Zach Lowe. Same with Ramona. Same with Brian Windhurst. Malika Andrews is going to be a superstar. Tim Bontemps has been great. Like, it's a, it really is. A, that's what I've loved about being here is that like everybody works together. It's not about who. His name is on it all the time, although you'll see plenty of shared bylines. Um, that's what makes it great. And so, like, I know I get way too much credit for what goes on here because we have a group that, as a group, is dominant. And uh, Zach, I mean, you know, Zach, Zach's relationships all over the league. And, you know, Bobby, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times there's agents calling Bobby even GM's calling Bobby, trying to get a rules interpretation and and telling them some deal they're working on. And then, like, you know, and so, anyway, like, it's those guys. And, and like, I don't do this thing alone. And so I, I get way too much credit. I appreciate it. It's nice. And I know it's amplified because I work here. It's probably more amplified than even when I was at Yahoo, and I get that. 
but like it's those guys. Like I would be, I'd be sitting there in a curled up in a ball if I didn't have Mark sitting next to me. So anyway, Ryan, you were awesome to do this debut of the Woj Pod here at ESPN. We're gonna we're gonna do shows all week here, uh, not as long as this one because Ryan and I could go for another two hours probably, but. Uh, we're going to do shows this week, and then we'll get out to Summer League in Vegas once we get through free agency. And we're going to get to some more sit-down interviews. I think we got some pretty good ones lined up in Vegas at Summer League if free agency ever ends. Um, so I know I'll see you out there, Ryan. You are a, a good man to schlep your way on with me on this one. So uh appreciate you. And uh, I know we'll be texting, talking the rest of the week trying to figure this stuff out. And just to make sure to uh, subscribe to the new Woj Pod. The good thing for me is that now I, the reason I want to do it is that I don't have to I don't have to catch up and listen to it. I just lived it. The, the, so. uh, even even better. Uh, you're the best, Ryan. The Thanks, Ryan Rosillo podcast, SVP, and Rosillo back. I'm enjoying that one, having you guys back together. We will catch you soon. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for listening.